Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 554 on Monday, the 27th of November, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we'll be looking at how two become one, well, sort of. In new new car news, we satisfy our EV off-roading needs. And in points of interest, the lunchtime read teaches us how Italy thwarted the Americans again. Dum, dum, dum. We go straight into some new news for a change. No follow-up, thankfully. And this is the big news from last week, really. Nissan are going to invest £2 billion into their Sunderland plant and area, which will mean that they will be building the new Cash Cow and Duke EVs uh, up there. It's, well, this is big news. It's no, no real surprise. Let's be honest, is it, Alan? Well, you wouldn't expect it to be a surprise, if you know what I mean. Well, given that it's... In the same country as your technical centers, your design centers, and the nice, shiny, new battery production facility that has been built right beside your factory. You wouldn't think it would be a big surprise. However, these days, anything could happen. So it's <laughs> nice confirmation. You kind of yes. hoped it was going to happen. You'd looked at it and thought, this should happen. But politics, the world phase of the moon, all these kind of things do seem to have big impacts on this kind of decision these days. Yeah, it, there was always the chance it wasn't going to happen, but I'm really pleased with this. It's going to be the EV360 hub is where it's going to be built. Okay. 360. All right, whatever. Uh, the word zero, by the way, is, is written out with a capital Z for Eero. Yes. Z for Eero. But this is all part of their project where they're going to stop selling internal combustion engine cars in Europe and the UK in 2030. Or by 2030, sorry, not in 2030, but by 2030. It was a natural progression. Um, but as you say, just really glad that they have officially announced that it was going to happen and not something. Mm -hmm. Suddenly there's a plant going in Spain or northern France, which seems to be doing its best to take over all the EVs of Europe. Yeah, yeah, it was never really going to be Northern France because that is that is the lair of Renault. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, interesting point here, which I I did actually know, but is is worth uh, repeating that about eighty percent of the cars built in Sunderland are exported abroad. Hmm. Important for international trade, really. Yep. Who'd have thought it? Mm. Do you want to stick? in the UK. Yeah. Uh, there's some changes going on at Hyundai and Genesis in the UK. I'm really stressing the in the UK bit here. And we're talking about it, but it is very much all back office stuff. Yeah, the customers are not going to notice a difference, are they? No difference to customers. Uh, or there should be no difference to customers. All of the back office stuff stuff around Genesis has, for the last few years since they launched in the UK, been a separate company. They've had their own finance, their own, uh, I imagine, facilities, their own, all sorts of, the, the whole sort of organizational structure. Well, why did you give this to the change guy? All, all that stuff has been, all, all the people part has all been independent of Hyundai thus far. They're changing that now. They have put pretty much 
everyone. I think the Autocar article and also the Car Dealer Magazine article, which came out first, was saying that, that basically everyone has been put into... Um, redundancy consultation. Redundancy consultation. Thank you for the correct wording. They are going to remain employees. I'm quoting here from the uh, Autocar article that's linked in the show notes, as ever. Uh, they're going to remain employees until January 2024. It's not a, a, an immediate switch off. Some will roll over into Hyundai, but nobody's really quite sure. Germany and Switzerland, which are the other European markets uh, for Genesis, uh, everything is continuing to operate independently. The other change is they're moving more to uh, an agency model, so there will be more physical places you can go and visit and see a Genesis, uh, rather than the predominantly online-only mo- model. Uh, that they've had so far, which requires a certain amount of awareness to go and look for stuff, whereas if there is a nice showroom uh, near other nice showrooms, then there is a high chance that people who are unaware of Genesis will wander in and have a, a look and, and maybe buy one. Mm-hmm. If you are reading the Autocar article, there is a line towards the bottom, the end, uh, which says, Genesis has sold just 1,188 cars in the UK as of October 2023 giving a market share of 0.05%. Lexus has a market share roughly 10 times that size. Okay, don't hold too much by that. Lexus has a significantly larger range and has been available in the UK for approximately 15 times longer than Genesis. (laughs) You know, let's try again with the equivalency, shall we, folks? (laughs) How many blue whales is that? (laughs) It's well, yes. It's the size of whales, more cars. <laughs> yes, that's that. It, it's pretty nonsensical, folks. Do be aware of, of that paragraph and, and, just, and just have the old salt bucket to hand. Right, I'm going to take us to JLR now. And they announced last week that they have spent £10 million in beefing up the security of older Range Rover models. If we remember, I think we covered this or talked about it. I've certainly seen enough articles on it. The fact that you can steal one in 15 seconds. Yes. yes. Uh, and insurers were beginning to say in certain parts of the country, no, we refuse to insure that because it's just going to disappear off your driveway or outside your house. Was there not at one point the JLR-approved insurance scheme refused to cover somebody's it does say in so, that, that somebody's they, Range Rover. <laughs> yes, it does say that they actually the um, withdrew their cover uh, uh, at one point. JLR or the engineers have been working furiously away to, away in the background to try and make it so that these are very difficult to steal now, uh, and they are confident that they have done this, and they are rolling out an update for models built between 2018 and 2022, which is some sixth. 65,000 cars, which is quite a mm-hmm. decent amount, actually. Especially considering two of those years, they couldn't get things. Well, I was just thinking, you know, at least they can get the parts for this. I think it's quite... Th- this is almost a recall, but it's not a safety recall, and it's not a government-mandated recall. It's a reputational repair It is reputational recall. repair recall, because as it says in the article here, that the challenges with the previous generations of Range Rover were having a knock-on effect, but the generation covered here and the theft problems were having a knock-on effect on the sales of new models. 
it's a good marketing thing to do as well as a good thing to do f- for the customers and for owners. Um, so even if you're not covered by warranty or anything like that, or it's never been near a dealer in it in its time with you, take it along and try and get it fixed and changed. A friend of mine who used to sell, who used to uh, used to sell uh, Land Rovers and Range Rovers, he once showed me a video from CCTV of of some one of his customers' Range Rovers being stolen, and it, it took no longer than fifteen seconds. Um, and it's not one of the videos that was been doing the laps of social media. No, no. They're not flinching when when you're getting quotes from senior JLR uh, mm-hmm. people. They're not flinching from realizing this was a massive problem, and they they wouldn't have budgeted in having to spend so much to fix this, and then to one solve the problem, mm-hmm. and then two go out and update the cars so that yeah. whatever it is they've done means it. it can't happen now as it had been yeah uh, good on them for this one yeah it's a case of very much a case of doing the right thing and i think that that's always admirable feel perhaps lessons will have been learned maybe across the whole industry on this sort of thing i'm sure that this kind of stuff will be being discussed behind doors and and people comparing notes with their colleagues and other com- companies i'm sure because if you've got insurers saying no we're not covering your vehicle that's quite hard to sell then (laughs) yeah 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 okay we're talking of something good to something absolutely nuts then please this is absolutely bat poo (laughs) there hasn't been an advert on facebook there's been an advert for the toyota hilux and it's a multiplicity of hilux and they are crossing the desert and fording a river and doing Hiluxy things in Africa. This advert has been banned. It's been deemed socially unacceptable by the Advertising Standards Authority, who probably have little sleeves on their table legs to stop the employees being unintentionally aroused by them or something. (laughs) The Advertising Watchdog said Toyota's promotion had not been prepared with a sense of responsibility to society, and presented and condoned the use of vehicles in a manner that disregarded their impact on nature and the environment. Right. Oh, how many people complained? One person complained. Now, now, come on. In the past, we have defended the fact that they will look at things when only a single person takes the time and the effort to say to them, hang on, don't feel that's correct to have advertised in that manner because of whatever reason and that is right because otherwise you are just listening to whoever has the most voices and that's not right however that being said i am applauding the mechanism Mm -hmm. not this instance because Mm -hmm. what has been complained about is absolutely nuts because it is a pickup that is designed to go off road and they show it easily going off-road in environments it is expecting to sell into. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I'm not comfortable with the the whole responsibility to society, sense of responsibilities, because that depends on, as you were saying before, the waxing of the moon, the mood the person is in that day. And that sort of, that's not a... But that's whether not or a, not they're aroused by a table leg or... Yeah, some, that, that is mm-hmm. not a very obvious right and wrongs. Because that is down to interpretation at that point. 
Mm-hmm. Anyway, if you'd like to watch the advert, it is actually linked from the AM Online. That was a touch I really liked. <laughs> the AM Online article, which is linked from our show notes. I would never have heard of the advert had it not been for the Advertising Standards Authority. So jolly good, everyone. Well done. That's, that's, that's nicely done, yes. Yep. <sighs> I'm going to go to Paris now. Oh, I wish. <laughs> well, not at the moment, because you can't go on the pavements and you can't take a car anywhere. Oh, well, I know. Well, you soon won't be able to, because Paris is now on the, hot on the heels of banning their micro-mobility options. Uh, they are now looking at... Uh, higher charging for cars based on weight. People have talked about SUVs and stuff. It's nothing to do with the... It isn't going to be one of those size and weight. This is down to weight. Um, So it is not an SUV specific Mm. thing here because a Jimny, I don't think, weighs over 1.6 tonnes. No, it does not. But I would suggest an E-Class diesel might weigh a bit more than that. Guess. Huh. And for electric cars over two tons as well. Yes. I don't think you actually said that bit. Yeah, no, I was going to get to that. Electric cars over two tons will also be charged higher for parking fees. <sighs> if it was all about weight and you want smaller vehicles or lighter vehicles, because, see, this is the thing. It- the thing is that Paris used to have an awful lot of older car, older little tiny cars, and then they banned all of those. And everybody went for micromobility solutions. Which, admittedly, from eyewitness reports of people living in Paris, made the pavements an absolute minefield. So that's a policing issue. It in, is a policing in issue. lower inverted commas yeah, policing. Yeah, yeah. And now they're, they're starting to, to charge again for cars. It's almost as though they don't want people to move around in Paris. Well, it is a big, <laughs> this is a big problem. So remember that the mayor and Hidalgo is from the Green Party, as is the deputy mayor, David Bayard. They are having a big crackdown on all, this, all these things, and people wouldn't mind so much if they actually felt that the public transport was improving at the same time. It does not seem that the public transport is improving at the same time, uh, and so everybody sees this as just yet more taxes. More taxes and more, and making people's lives harder to do the things they're trying to do. Making it inconvenient for the majority of people uh, with no no reasonable alternative that they see. Hmm. Paris, when it comes to getting around, is actually a bit of a mess right now. End of story. Reintroduce the auto lieb, everyone. Reintroduce the auto lieb. It caused some in some challenges, but it also solved a whole load of others because people could just use a car when they needed a the car, whereas that's not possible anymore. Hmm. I say that because the person who was also telling me about those was, was a fanatical Autolib user and really, really noticed when they, they left. Partly, he said, because there was a, one station outside his apartment, one station outside the office, and he never had to walk more than 200 feet at either end. <laughs> well, shall you move on from Paris and uh, charge our batteries? Well, yeah, actually, one of the, the things that Autolib has left behind in Paris is a network of slow chargers, uh, and on-street EV charging. But, speaking of EV charging, the SAE International, so that's the kind of global standards company, you know, remember if we've got British standards, the BS 408 and all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. 
then SAE is is the international standard do cover the same kind of stuff, but international standards for things. And they've announced that the positioning system for wireless electric vehicle charging, so for induction charging, uh, will be the one proposed by the supplier Marla. It is going to be the Global Alignment Methodology for Electric Vehicle Wireless Charging, and it's going to be SAE J2954. Just in case you want to order up a copy for yourself, that's SAE J2954. Actually, Mara call it the DIPS, so Differential Inductive Positioning System. This doesn't get any less technical, folks. Um, it's based on the magnetic field, and it automatically establishes the connection uh, depending on how strong the field is uh, and where it's it's positioned. Uh, it says a special navigation system in the vehicle and vehicle displays supports the driver so the car is in the ideal position. The charging process starts automatically. I've seen a demos of this way back in the early days of Formula E when it was Qualcomm. Well, it was a Qualcomm system that was being demonstrated. And again, in a, in a, in an i3, it was a case of reversing it that the, the demonstrator it was on a phone app. And as you, you reversed into place, it told you whether you should go left a bit, right a bit, forward a bit, back a bit until you were positioned sufficiently above the panel. Uh, you don't have to be exactly above it. Um, but of course, the more you're above it, the more the, I'm going to say the better the contact, for want of a better term, whether it works or not, whether it's the entire coil and stuff. Well, I look forward to a whole new host of bings and bongs as vehicles guide us in then. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. Yes. Uh, by the that. way, it's worth mentioning, uh, according to Marla, vehicle also works with uh, autonomously parked vehicles and even in unfavorable environment, mental conditions such as a layer of snow or damp leaves it should be uh, very simple and reproducible there is a, a threshold in there to be honest andrew the the autonomously parking stuff as demonstrated on the little video on youtube which has the highest number of hits of any of our videos on youtube which is quite scary of just the toyota yaris cross parking in a car park you know parking itself and there's the car park and i can believe that that would work Perfect. Don't have a. Don't see why that wouldn't work. I would imagine there would be something in the pad to guide the vehicle yeah. in to make it easy for the vehicle mm. to go because it's 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 a very constrained little environment, working yeah. environment for it to understand. So that's a relatively simple thing for them to do properly. Oh and yeah, program totally. properly. I, I could see that happening. I, I mean, Randy the Roomba down there can pretty much do it. Different way. But Randy the Roomba works his way onto his little chargey pads most of the time. Anyway, I think it's cool. This kind of standardization is hopefully uh, one of the steps on the way to making something which is out there commercially and commercially viable um, and transferable between multiple manufacturers. Good news. Yep, absolutely. Well, apologies to anyone who jogs along to the first part, but uh, Alan... <laughs> I think we've managed I've it. I've just tried to really spin it out there. We've reached Guilt Minute, the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on the hosting running. Uh, if you feel that motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. 
If you don't have any spare cash, and we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that, and some of you do, so thank you very, very much, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you, everyone that does. Much appreciated. Okay, new, new car news. And I'm going to start with the Peugeot E3008. This is the next generation 3008. It's going to be obviously EV. And they've decided to eschew the family-friendly design of the current generation and go for an SUV coupe thingy. Oh my God. I read a thing about this. Mm. They were going to make two slightly different body styles, one for the sporty ones and one for the non-sporty ones. And very senior management came along and said, uh, no, just make that one. And pointed at the sporty one. Yes, because if you want the more practical family orientated one, you have to wait for the 5008, which is obviously going to be bigger. I.e. not a coupe. Mm. It's another one of these SUV coupe things. I, you can tell from my tone that I dislike the idea. Um, uh, I, I think it's just like intentionally sort of cutting off your nose to spite your face because we're huge fans of the previous generation of yeah. uh, 3008. Because the rest of the car looks really good. I, I mm. like the interior. I like the outside design that they've got going on. The front end looks really good till you get below the license plate. The grille looks really good in the lights. And then they've gone and decided we don't want you families who need to put a pram in or some suitcases and stuff. Or a dog. Uh, and they're making it clear they're going after the, the, what is they, how do they put it? The start of our C-segment offensive. Are you offended? Well, yes, quite. <laughs> so they've succeeded. <laughs> because if you can afford a 3008, that does not necessarily mean you can afford a 5008, which is going to be bigger. Do you know what this is? This is all coupe and slopey. I mean, partly because it's an EV and it's aerodynamics or, uh, and stuff, but it's also because of the sort of Tesla Model 3 and Y. And, and once again, the car industry learning the wrong lessons from a certain US EV company. I mean, at least the interior looks like it's actually been furnished. Yeah, no, I, I, like, I really like the interior. They've gone for cloth finishes again, which is good. Uh, no doubt if you've reach right under and in the back of some places i'm sure somebody could find some hard plastic somewhere hard plastic fetishist i know some fetish <laughs> satisfied <laughs> i just think it's a, a really missed opportunity and i think they will lose sales off the back of this i don't think they will gain up enough of people going oh i want an suv coupe that'll do yeah yeah i agree oh prices sorry 40, starts at 45,850. There is going to be a range of up to 326 miles, apparently, and offer 316 brake horsepower. More details in the Autocar article that's linked in the show notes if you want to find out mm -hmm. more stuff about this. I wonder how heavy it is. We are disappointed, Peugeot. That's what we are. Yeah, it's one of those things, sorry, in some of these early announcements, people are going to have to start giving an indication of the weights of these. Given the mm -hmm. Paris announcement, sorry, I was, I was having a quick scroll through again. Uh, even in light of that sort of Paris announcement, you know that they're going to be the first and that along, you know, London will be along soon. Well, it's, it's openly being discussed for, exactly. for British towns and cities of introducing that type of 
parking thing. Uh, and if you look in certain segments... Of course it is. ...of the media, then there is very much an anti-large vehicle campaign. A while ago, I was watching a thing about uh, roundabouts, believe it or not, on YouTube. Uh, roundabouts in the US. How do you fill the long winter nights on? <laughs> it's not all else to do. I was watching a thing about roundabouts. They were saying that there used to be far, far more roundabouts in the US. But then along came essentially big traffic light. And they came along and they sold people on the idea of these four-way stops and all the junctions and traffic lights and all these kind of things. And they sold the councils on it because it would be safer. And I have a funny feeling that what we've now got is big parking outsource company is coming along and selling all these councils on, look how clever we can be with variable parking so you can actually ramp up the parking costs, where, of course, they'll be getting a cut of it. Does anybody fancy investigating where the big parking app are behind this? I, I'm, I'm not really joking either. No, no. I think it's worth looking at and just who is pushing for this at the highest, you know? What, what, what do the councils get out of it? Anyway, if you want something which is still from Stellantis, but cheaper and more practical than the new E3008, then why not try the new Vauxhall Astra Sports Tourer Electric? It arrives with a base price of 39995 It has 256-ish miles of range, and it has a larger boot capacity. Nobody's saying in this autocar article what the range is once it has roof bars and a set of ladders on top. <laughs> or not premium quality photocopy paper in the boot. <laughs> yes. So for, well, the days of the photocopier are gone, almost. Uh, 516 litres of luggage space compared to 352 in the Astra hatch. Uh, that goes up to 1,553 litres with the rear seats folded down. That's pretty impressive. Uh, 54 kilowatt hour battery, 153 brake, and 199 pound foot of torque through the front axle. Should be able to get 4.2 miles per kilowatt hour, which is pretty decent. Mm, well, that'd be good. Uh, recharging up to 100 kilowatt, 20 to 80%, about 26 minutes charger dependent, of course or charger location dependent, you lose two miles of range over the hatchback, but otherwise it's exactly the same. The Sportster Electric is slightly more expensive than the hatch. Design trim comes in, as I said, at £39,995. That's £2,550 more expensive than the hatch. And then there's another couple of specs. Ultimate is the top. You end up with adaptive headlights, panoramic sunroof, adaptive cruise, 360 cameras, all the good stuff, 45505 which puts it in alignment with that E3008 uh, that we've just talked about. I'd rather have the Astra, to be honest. Sorry. Than the 3008, yeah. But there's going to be an E308 coming soon, mm -hmm. which will basically be the same thing underneath. Yes. Yeah. I can't remember the pricing on that. I can't remember whether Peugeot are coming in less expensive than Vauxhall, because... We got the feeling a few months ago. Yeah, the Vauxhalls were all so much more expensive. Which seemed a bit unfair. Mm -hmm. But hey, uh, a, an electric estate, that, let's cheer that. Yes, and it's not an SUV, whatever you're defining an SUV to be, because that's really been annoying me this week. It has. Well, talking of SUVs, <laughs> no, it's not an SUV. This is an EV off-roader. This is the Callum Sky. 
this is a small off-road electric vehicle, two-door, only 1150 kilograms. So you can go into Paris with this, Alan. I was just going to, I was, you've just <laughs> beat me to my next line. So it's really cheap to park in Paris. Um, but yeah, and it's about the same size as a Renault Clio, which uh, is perfect for parking in Paris. Uh, it has a, a around 170 miles range from a 42 kilowatt per hour battery. It, it, it looks a little bit like a rally raidy thing, but much more friendlier and cuddlier. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to describe it. It, it, is, it is not a threatening looking vehicle. No, it's not got a big footprint at all. Uh, there's, do click in the show notes on the link because there's a couple of pictures in here that really demonstrate the size of it. There's one where there's a, a the, well, picture or render. There's a lady walking along the street and they show it and it shows just how small it really is. I actually really like that render. I know it's a very complicated render uh, and difficult to do, but I love it because it gives you an idea of scale. And mm. so often when people are showing off uh, all these renders, they're, they're just the scale is completely missing. So I, I really like that one. Also, I love the color and I think it just looks fab. Yeah. Um, looks, looks like it's very much an Allen vehicle. Yes. It, it's, it Unfortunately. Is, is it not at Allen prices? <laughs> no. Well, they're going to build about 50 of them or up to 50 at the, the factory in Warwickshire. There is no price has yet been calculated, but I'm quoting here straight from the Autoco article. Uh, no price has yet been calculated, but it is understood the partners are aiming at around £100,000 as a target figure. That's not very Alan friendly, I'm afraid. It's very cool, though. Yeah, I do. I, I wish I had. I, I, I wish I had the, the resources. Because it does exclusive, it's going to be quickish. It's going to be pretty quick. Four seconds, I think. To and nobody's going to know. It's also four by four, which, mm-hmm. I mean, it is the modern day um, Veracross, almost. It's not quite. It's, it's the original Veracross concept, which had a three-cylinder triple. In um, Head of engineering, uh, Adam Don Francesco, uh, who some of you remember um, we had on a couple of times during the, the COVID days. Uh, on a couple of special editions, uh, Adam Adam's a good chap as well. Mm. Excellent stuff. Uh, last but not least, I've ended up with this story, which is one very close to Andrew's heart, and to be honest, solves pretty much the only challenge I had with the with with the previous generation Tucson. Uh, there's been a facelift to the Hyundai Tucson. The most notable thing is. Yeah, because it's, it's pretty much only the inside. <laughs> it is. The, I mean, it, it looks just the same on the outside. Uh, most notable thing is buttons for the ventilation controls. Yay, and knobs, and all these things. And the full-width screen that Hyundai use now. Yes, 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 and the full-width screen. But, but nobody cares about that. What they care about are the buttons and knobs for the ventilation, because that was the one thing that was really fidgety and annoying mm. uh, when I had one for a week. Tucson's really nice. Yeah. But yeah, the semi-touchscreen haptic feedback button bits for the ventilation were finicky and not the most reliable things. This is nice, and it looks good, and, and you get all the same functionality out of it, obviously. But the stuff that you use more regularly is now is now a button. I uh, really like these Tucson's. I think they've moved the drive selector onto the steering column as well now, so it frees up a load of room for the central tunnel. Yeah, it looks like it. Uh, a whole bunch of bits and pieces like that. Very much in line with uh, with 
they've brought it up to date with the rest of their range, whether it's mm-hmm. electric or not. Uh, and it's all the better for it. I agree. And this is, you know, this is one of the best selling cars in the UK. Uh, it's worth remembering that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a huge success for Hyundai. And, and well, I think well deserved. I like it. Right, I'm going to take us into points of interest, and I'm going to start with the lunchtime read. This is from Haggerty, and it's uh, Matteo Lucata. And guess what? It's about an Italian car company. I know that's a surprise. From Matteo and Alfa Romeo? It's a of shocking surprise, but this is, uh, I'm going to read the headline here, Ford's failed takeover of Alfa Romeo. Now, I didn't know about this, but then again, I'm not as steeped in car history as many others, including my colleague uh, on the other end of the video here. It's just because I'm the kind of guy that watches YouTube videos around, about roundabouts versus traffic lights in America. <laughs> it is something that just annoys the heck out of me. <laughs> but obviously, uh, the, the, the main one that we hear about with Ford is how Ferrari didn't get sold to them and all that came out of that. But that in the 80s, the Ford came back and tried to get Alfa Romeo. So this tells you the whole history of, and I, I love his ending paragraph, which you need to read to the whole thing. I'm not going to say it because it will spoil it, but I just love his uh, ending paragraph to it because I think it just rounds out this story and the information really nicely because it, it is a story of what ifs and maybes and could ofs, and we don't know, but mm. it's an excellent, uh, I love finding out this sort of stuff. Yeah, me too. That's one of those things that, that you know, I like when sites do long form articles yes please when they don't necessarily have to uh, and this is the kind of wonderful stuff that that you learn as a result of that um and fewer and fewer sites are doing long form articles which is difficult for us to choose a decent long side read but i i love this is exactly why i love them you learn i mean i knew the that it had kind of happened, but I, I didn't know the details. So excellent piece by Matteo, as, as always, and, and thank you to Haggerty for continuing to publish this stuff. Please don't stop. Yes, please don't. You've made changes recently. Don't make any more changes. Yeah, yeah. Which means that List of the Week lands with me, and it's 11 21st century hot hatches with 1980s spirit. It's an Anthony Ingram one, so it's a little bit Left field as well as pretty right. Yes, there are only eleven, so I'm. That means that this has fallen quite nicely, and I'm not allowed to choose one. I've owned two of them on the two of the things on the list. Uh, well, there's three here I would not pick. I've owned one. Um, oh, this it, the ones that are left. It's really very tough. <sighs> so I can work out two of the ones you wouldn't. Pick. Oh, I think I know what third one you wouldn't pick is okay. I'm going to go for, because it's mad as a box of frogs, the Suzuki Ignis Sport. Yes! I love the fact that they had mesh in the headrests. In the center of the headrest, there was this that mesh that was, was it, was it color-coded? I can't remember. No, it was, it was always yellow. Oh, didn't, right, okay. didn't matter on the spec, it was always yellow. But I love that. That little, just a, that, it's, it's a nothing touch. It, it cost them money to do, but it made... A small delight and joy. They're really cool. The trouble these days is finding a good one. No, you can't. In the hunt for... So, I feel it should be pointed out 
that when Johnny Yaris was purchased, Johnny Yaris was not necessarily going to be a Yaris. But uh, Mark I minis were phenomenally, you know, Isagonis minis, phenomenally expensive if you wanted a floor in them. <laughs> uh, so that those got vetoed early on. Uh, and then Ignis Sports, YRV Turbos, which is not on the list, so I feel okay mentioning that, uh, were also on the uh, were also in the running as was uh, as were early swift sports uh, the challenge with the ignis though was finding a good one because lots of them had been had had got cheap enough that they had had their little socks thrashed off sadly but they are very cool if you get a good one mm. like those a lot yes 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 obviously i'm a fan of the jrst sport mm. i prefer the sr actually okay that leaves us now with the and finally and it's um oh somebody's accusing it of being lazy journalism what's lazy journalism Ooh, the list i'm sorry i made the mistake of scrolling into the uh Did you look at the bottom half of the internet i'm again, scrolled right? into the bottom of the hour. it was an accident i didn't mean to sorry uh, i think the person is wrong okay as i was saying the and finally <laughs> think of it as a supplementary uh, lunchtime watch it's from hubnut it's been a little while since we've showcased any of his, but this only came out this weekend. It's brilliant. It's city bug quarry racing. It, it effectively, what is it? Is it auto test? Auto test. It's essentially yeah, auto an auto test, but in this case, it's in a quarry. So it's on a loose surface. And on the horrific day they filmed this, where they're <laughs> just about, it's a wonder I don't, I don't, obviously, obviously, Miss Husband is, is, is holding the camera in position, camera and tripod in position during some of the outside filming because it's foul. <laughs> but it goes to show how accessible some forms of motorsport can be. And this is a great one into it because uh, this reminds me of that, oh, who's the vet guy who did the, who built the Caterham? Uh, Mark, uh, he, he, he did a series for a while of different cars that he built. He built, did a Land Rover, he did a Caterham, but he also did his motorsport license and did different types of motorsports mm. at the time he was building this. And one of them was an auto test. I don't think my brain is wired to be able to do an auto test properly. I get to maybe the third thing and then forget what I was meant to be doing. Yeah, you never did the Toyota Parallel Pomeroy. No, which I was didn't. a similar thing. Of so, I go forward to the first line, back to the say, you know, back to the original line, forward to the second line, back to, and and just got completely confused in that. But I would love to do more auto tests. It was just finding somewhere that did it, and just when I was at the point to be able to do that, then along came COVID, and then mm. that smashed everything up. Um, there's Peterborough Motor Club, I think, run a few. Okay. Uh, but then it's it's just where they were and how to join and all that stuff it can be really quite hard to find. Mm. So yeah, I would love to do more of this. It says it points out here: go to motorsportuk.org to find more clubs in the UK. Do that. Yep. Good little video. Great little idea. Maybe inspire one or two listeners to do some. Yes, and it doesn't need lots and lots of money. As say, even the the little one hundred and seven they were using there, it has to have uh, secure seats, working seat belts, uh, and some of the bits and pieces. But it doesn't necessarily need an MOT. No, it's twenty five quid to enter. Awesome stuff. Great. I love that kind of thing. Mm. I think that's us for this week. It is. 
no doubt, uh, because we're recording this uh, on a Monday, there will be many big and important announcements that come out before our usual recording time, because that's what happens. Uh, we'll be back to the normal recording time-ish next week. Yes, normal schedule will be resumed. Yes. But don't forget that between now and then, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com. Hub of all our activities. Uh, remember, you can support us financially via Patreon. Please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, in the meantime, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter or Mastodon. If you search for Crap Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to know more about roundabouts in America, what's the best way for them to speak to you personally? Uh, best way is via Twitter or I'm on Blue Sky more than any of the others, really. But any of the grown up uh, social media services where I'm at AJP Bradley, that's B I A D L E Y. Uh, we'll be back very soon, as I say. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.